Uh, thank you for joining us once again then as we, as we turn to God's word, as we look at the, this Advent series that we've been doing, Come and Behold Him. Uh, and the reason we're doing this teaching series throughout December is to prepare for the arrival of Jesus. That, that's what Advent means. It's, it's an arrival, a coming. And of, the, of course, at this Christmas season, we once again want to get to the heart of the story. We want to see the one whose coming we celebrate. We want to see the one in the manger, the one who we want to come and behold. And so far in this short series, we've explored how Jesus is the promised one, how his coming was not a surprise. God had promised his coming centuries before through the prophets. He had told his people who would come, the Messiah would come. He told them where the Messiah would spend time and most importantly, why the Messiah needed to come and how we should respond to him. And so this Jesus coming was promised. He was the promised one. And through the birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, we see the promises of God fulfilled, completely fulfilled. So he is the promised one. Last week then we saw how Jesus is coming was special because Jesus is, is just no ordinary baby. He is, of course, fully human, but he is divine. He is the son of God. He was miraculously conceived. He lived the perfect holy life. He died an innocent death because he had no sin of his own because he was divine. He rose from the dead, showing this eternal victory over sin and death. And now he has ascended back to heaven from where he came the first time and where he is waiting to come again. This is the divine one, the one who came, God with us, Emmanuel. And we explored those three words last week, seeing the enormity of the reality that it is God who has come to be with us. It's a remarkable truth that we remember every day and we celebrate particularly at Christmas time. So Jesus is the promised one. He is the divine one. And today we're going to consider how Jesus is the guiding one the guiding one. He's the one who comes to show us the way. And there are many verses that, that help demonstrate that for us. But one of the descriptions of Jesus that's repeated through John chapter one, which is the passage we read last, last week, is of him as the light. He is the light. And that paints a picture for us of his purity, of his holiness. Yes, absolutely. The fact that as the light, the true light, he is the source of all life. But it also, Jesus as the light, that name, that term also helps us to appreciate the fact that he illumines the way, he shows the way, he lights the way for us. And as we consider a number of passages this morning, we'll, we'll try to understand how Jesus is the one who shows the way, the one who guides, the one who leads. And he shows the way out of darkness, he shows the way to the Father, and he shows us the way to live in the here and now. The light that was coming has come to show us the way out of darkness, show us the way to the Father, and show us the way to live in the here and now. He is the guiding one who shows us the way out of sin into the Father's embrace to live a life that glorifies him now and forever. If, if you hear nothing else, that's a summary statement of what's going to be the next 20 minutes. Jesus is the one who, who guides, the guiding one who shows us the way out of sin into the Father's embrace so that we live a life that glorifies him now and forever. So I'd love us to, to begin by reading portions of John chapter 1. Um, we'll start in verse 4. Um, we'll read verses 4 and 5. Then we'll read verses 9 to 13. But let's turn our attention to God's word now to see uh, this reality that Jesus is the one who has come to guide. He is the light that shows us the way. And so John chapter 1. Let's just read verses 4 and 5. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In him was life. Him, the word. The first three verses, John has been explaining how Jesus is the word. The word who was with God, the word who was God, the word who was with God in the beginning, the word who made all things. This word, Jesus, is him. And in him, it it was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The, The eternal, true life that is found in Jesus is the light of all mankind. Jesus's life is the true light, the true light that dispels darkness, the true light that lights the way, shows the way, that guides Jesus' life is that light. And then verses 6 to 8, we hear of John. We know him then throughout the rest of the gospel as John the Baptist. He comes as a witness to that light. And then picking up the reading in verse 9. So Jesus is this light in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And now we see this true light that was coming into the world, which John was a witness to. This true light is Jesus. He was the one who was coming into the world. And he is the true light. And even though in him is true life, not all recognize him, not all receive him, not all believe in him. Yet for those who do, he gives the right to become children of God, adopted into the eternal family of God Almighty. This is the way that Jesus shows, the way the true life was making clear. And Jesus is that light. He is the light that shows us that way. Jesus himself called, used that term of himself in John chapter 8, verse 12. We'll reference this verse a little bit later on too. But in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is good news. It's something we'll savor in a few minutes because we need to appreciate the mission that Jesus had was to show us the way, to guide us out of darkness to the Father in a way to glorify Um, him forever but to fully appreciate the reality of the true light we have to recognize the place that with the place we are without him and how that place is not good how that place is indeed the absence of light it is darkness and so john 1 makes it clear that jesus came as the light and he came into the darkness and he came into the darkness to call people out of it So so what is this darkness and and why do we find ourselves in it? Well, in a passage that we will hear tonight, a passage that is quoted in every carol service up and down the country, indeed around the world, in Isaiah 9, verse 2, we read, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. A light has dawned upon those living in the land of deep darkness. So in some ways, the default setting is darkness. And upon the people living in the land of deep darkness, light dawns. Back in John chapter 1, we see this too, that darkness is the setting into which Jesus comes. 
Jesus says this as well in John 8, 12 that we read earlier. I am the light of the world. And what does he say then? Whoever walks, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What's being painted for us here is clearly that there are two options in scripture. There is the light of Jesus or there is darkness. And that might sound stark. That might sound harsh. But that's the reality of the biblical picture. Because the biblical picture then comes to show us the way to light out of darkness. And again, to repeat something we mentioned last week, when the, when the Bible uses this imagery of light and dark, it's speaking of a spiritual state. Spiritual light, spiritual darkness. Spiritual life, spiritual death. Spiritual sight, spiritual blindness. It all paints this picture for us of two extreme realities. And, and that's intentional to show us how different these two realities are. And when we consider darkness and light, we're meant to see the stark contrast that when light is there, darkness can't be. Light expels darkness. When you walk into a dark room and flick the light on, the darkness runs. Not literally, that would be terrifying, but you see what I mean? It, the darkness is expelled as soon as light comes. The two are almost incompatible in that sense. Darkness cannot hold back light when it comes. And once light enters somewhere, the darkness vanishes. We, we, could, we could think about this a little bit more, but it's important when we then consider what the Bible is teaching us about the coming of Jesus. That into the darkness he comes, and what did John 5, 1 verse 5 say? The darkness has not overcome it because it can't. Because darkness cannot overcome light. And it speaks to us then, this word picture of light and darkness helps us to grasp the reality that, that we, as those who live in the land of deep darkness, we need light. As we'll see in a minute, darkness cannot conjure light itself. But then what we also see, knowing that Jesus is the true light that was coming into the darkness, we see the power that he has to overcome. The power that he has to bring light into what was dark. And so Jesus is the powerful light that dispels darkness. But we don't have to, to look too far around our world to characterize it as darkness, do we? Tim's already prayed for some of those situations that are going on on a global level. But let's be honest, we, we don't have to look further than the mirror to see shortcomings, to see failings, to see ugly attitudes at times, to see sin. And as those in the dark, we cannot then find our way out. We can't see the place, the way to go to the source of light because we're in the darkness. But the beauty of Christmas is that we recognize that the light has come to us. Remember those words from Isaiah? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Notice that the people walking in darkness aren't responsible for the light coming. The light dawns upon them. I happened to be out this morning walking the dog, just about half eight, and this was the picture that I saw. And it reminded me, when dawn comes, light disappears. Is it beautiful, isn't it? It's not like that every morning, honestly. With waterproofs in the winter, it's dreadful, but this was nice. The point is true, though. When dawn comes, light, darkness is dispelled because darkness cannot overcome it. And, and this is a picture to us of the grace and mercy of God in the incarnation. That God enters the darkness to rescue us from it. To bring us to his light by his light. 
And so in doing so, he's come to bring those who believe out of darkness into his wonderful light. The Apostle Peter puts it like this when he's writing to a group of Christians in the first century. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is what Jesus came to do, to call us out of darkness into his wonderful light. He, the true light, came to the darkness to call us out of it. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is what it means for followers of Jesus to be brought out of darkness. And it was for this reason that Jesus, the light, the true light, the promised one, the divine one, the guiding one came. So that we would know his way out of darkness. This gracious, most generous, most undeserved way out of sin into life with him. And the gospels go on to show us that the reason he can do that, the reason he can draw us out and call us out of darkness, the reason he can bring light into darkness and dispel it, is because he came in order to take the penalty of sin from us, for us. And therefore, we are released from the bondage of sin. It no longer has mastery over us for those who believe. In other words, Jesus came, this light came into the darkness to bring salvation. We see that reality throughout scripture. But one example that's really clear for us as we think about the early days of Jesus's life is in Luke chapter two, when it's captured for us, when Joseph and Mary bring eight day old Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. And we see in Luke chapter two, they meet a man called Simeon. Simeon has been faithfully waiting for the Messiah, the savior to come. And look at what happens when he reads, when he meets Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 28. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Remember, he's holding eight-day-old Jesus in his arms, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation finally. And how does he describe him? That salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. See, this baby is the salvation of God. He is the light for revelation to the Gentiles. He is the one who shows us the way out of darkness because he will save his people from their sins. This is just another confirmation of the identity, the true identity of this child, that he is the one sent from God to save. He is the savior and he will guide us out of darkness. And so that that is what Jesus comes to show us the way out from. But let's consider where he is guiding us to. He is guiding us from out of darkness, but guiding us to the Father. If we go back to John chapter 1, we see in verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And so Jesus opens the way for us to be welcomed into the heavenly family of God. We can be his children. And so he welcomes us and shows us the way to the Father, out of darkness to the Father. And we know that Jesus can do this. He made it clear to his disciples in John 14 when he said, Jesus answered when Thomas was asking him, how can you say 
we know the way to which you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus answered, yes, you do. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the, the way, the only way, the pathway to the Father. And as we've already seen, in the Father, we find eternal security, joy unending, unfathomable light, holiness, purity, joy, grace, mercy, righteousness, holiness, boundless grace. And so Jesus is the way to the Father. And so the Father is the destination. The Father is the goal. The Father is the end of the path that Jesus leads us to. I'm reminded of a song I heard about 15 or 20 years ago by a guy called Charlie Hall. And it goes like this. I once was fatherless, a stranger with no hope. Your kindness wakened me, wakened me from my sleep. Your love, it beckons deeply, a call to come and die. By, now I, by, your, by grace now I will come and take this life, take your life. Sin has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. From the grave you've risen victoriously. Into marvelous light I'm running. Out of darkness, out of shame, by the cross, you are the truth. You are the way, you are the life. This is what Jesus calls us to. He calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is the reality for those who follow the path of Jesus, that he rescues us from the darkness by his light. Remember, it's his light that guides us out of the darkness. It is then his light who shows us the way to the Father, and the Father is light. And so we run into the arms of our Heavenly Father because by his light, Christ, he has shown us the way. So we are, this marvelous light shows us the way out of darkness to the Father. And because those who trust in Jesus are then in the Father, secure in their eternal home, following that light then transforms everything about our life in the here and now jesus shows us the way to live he sets the example for us doesn't he he prays even at the start of john 17 that he would that his life would glorify the father jesus sets us the example he shows us the way of what it means to live a life in the here and now that glorifies his father in heaven so jesus shows us the way to live he sets the perfect example for us and our mission is that too, to glorify the Father, to live in the here and now in a way which gives him the glory and praise that he alone deserves. And if we want our life to look like that, if we want to do that, then we look to Jesus. We seek to emulate him, follow his example. And that means allowing him by his word, by his spirit, to guide our lives in every respect. And therefore, he will help us to reflect God's good light to the world around us. But maybe that sounds a wee bit theoretical, a bit ethereal, that we follow the example of Jesus. Okay, that, that sounds great, but how do we do that? Well, the Bible is full of practical advice and wisdom, if not commands, on how we should follow and how we should live. And to help us unpack it a little, I just want to turn to Ephesians 5 for a couple of minutes. Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 10, show us what this life is like continuing on in this theme of darkness and light. Verse, Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 10. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. 
there's a summary of what the Christian life should be like. I find these verses fascinating because they speak to our identity as followers of Jesus. Notice how verse 8 opens with, for you were once darkness. You were once darkness. It's not you were in darkness, you were surrounded by darkness. No, you were darkness. That is, that is who we were before Christ. We are by nature deserving of wrath, Ephesians 2 says. That is who we are, who we were. And so it is in that nature that God comes to us to rescue us. And we are transformed by his light. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It is because we are in the Lord that we are light. Again, it's we are light. Not that we are in light or we know light or we can have light. No, you are light. Jesus said that to his followers too, didn't he? In Matthew 5, he said, you are the light of the world. So we are light. That is our nature now. Yes, we, we, we struggle with temptations and trials and issues crop up. And of course, we are on a journey to being as we are being sanctified. Yes, absolutely. We are not perfect yet. But we are light. Our spiritual nature is light. We are welcomed by the Father. We have a secure, imperishable inheritance waiting for us. That is who we are. We are light in the Lord. I know that sometimes we, we, we might feel like a, a, a flickering candle in comparison to the holy brilliance of God. But when he looks upon us, remember, child of his, he sees Christ's righteousness clothed in you. Clothing you. We are light. We are children of light. Therefore, let's live as children of light. Let's live out our true identity. And this is not a call to, this is not a call to, to greater self-propulsion. It's not a call to, to bettering yourself, you know, living your best life now. No, it's not that. It's, it's recognizing that as his light, all we are is reflectors. I was really helped by someone who, who compared this kind of this line of thinking of how can we as Christians be li- be light, be light of the Lord and light in the Lord? How can we live that out? Well, if you consider the sun and the moon, the moon has no natural light of its own. It only reflects the brilliance of the sun. And so it is with us who seek to live our lives for Jesus, that we live not seeking to glorify ourselves, not seeking to shine a light of our own, but we reflect the brilliance of the one who is the true light. And so that when you gaze at the moon, even in, a, in the most clear, full, brightest, closest journey around the earth that the moon makes, even in its most brilliant state, all it does is point us to the supreme light that lights it. It points us to the greater one, and that is how we are to live. We live a life reflecting the, the character, the nature, the beauty of Jesus Christ, so that when people look at us, they don't think, isn't that church great up there? Look at that wonderful group of people. No, they look at us and think, God is among them. Look at what he must be doing here. If these people believe in the Bible and this is what their life is like because of their belief in scripture, then I want to live that. Because look at the goodness there. Look at the flourishing there. Look at the joy that they share. Look at how they deal with difficulty and, dif- and differences of opinion. But look at how they reflect the source of true everlasting light. We live in a way, as verse 10 of Ephesians 5 says, we live in a way that, which pleases the Lord. And that will reflect his good, glorious splendor. And perhaps that sounds unachievable still. Joy, you don't understand. How can I reflect 
anything of goodness. Again, Jesus is the one who gives us the ability. His promise in John 8, 12 is, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, any ability we have to reflect his goodness is his work in us. It's his spirit at work in us. And so he will achieve what he wants to in our lives. And yes, of course, there are decisions that we need to make about how we spend our time, how we prioritize our walk with him, how we treat other people. Of course, all of that is important. We must actively follow him in obedience and faith. But ultimately, it is his glory that shines that we want to reflect back to. And it is his spirit who brings those new desires within us to even follow, seek and desire to follow him. So he is the source of all light, yes. He is the end goal that our life of light is leading to, yes. He is the power that enables us to live that way, yes. And all of that is so that he receives the glory that is due his name. That we live a life in the here and now, and indeed for all eternity, that will bring him unending glory. That's the way that Jesus shows us to live our lives. And by his power and his grace, he will help us. And so as we, as we draw to a close this morning, let's consider some of the truths we've seen. What does, the one, what does it mean that the one in the manger is the guiding one? And the three things that we've looked at is that Jesus shows us the way out of darkness. He shows us the way out of bondage to, to sin, out of the judgment that our sin rightly deserves because he takes it. It's what we'll celebrate in a moment around the table. Jesus shows us the way to the Father to our eternal home, to the embrace of the sovereign one of the universe. The one who is the father of all lights, James 1 said. He shows us the way to the father. And Jesus shows us the way to live here and now. A life that glorifies him, a life that reflects his splendor to the world around us, reflects his beauty, the wonder of his teaching, the truth of his teaching, the grace that he has shown us. We reflect that all to the world around us so that he is glorified. Jesus is the guiding one. He shows us the way out of sin to the Father's arms so that he receives the glory that he deserves through our lives. And therefore, the most crucial question that we can ask once again this Christmas is, are we being guided by the one in the manger? Are we responding in surrender to him? Are we allowing him to lead us forward? Have we responded to his offer of salvation that he's made to us? Into the life, into that eternal embrace of the Father, into joy never-ending. Are we seeking to live a life in a way that glorifies him? Or has he this morning even been working on us to show ways in which we are not reflecting him well and therefore calling us to greater obedience, which will then enhance the glory that he receives from our lives? Jesus, the one in the manger, is the promised one, the divine one, the guiding one. And this is great news. This is great news. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that you saw us in our darkness. We saw, you saw us as darkness and you sent your light into the world. 
so that we would be brought out of darkness because of what he has accomplished by his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again in glory. And so we thank you, Father, for sending Jesus, the guiding one. And we pray, Father, that you would help us. For those of us who do know and trust you as our Savior, that you would help us to live a life that does indeed reflect your glory to the world, that, that does glorify you, that, that we do live in a way in which we want to seek out and find what pleases you, and then we do that. We recognize, Father, that, that we mess up all the time. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be quick to confess to you and to others if necessary. Lord, that we would live in the, the wonderful flow and joy of your forgiveness. That we would know that, that indeed if we do confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you will forgive. And we thank you, Father, for the power of your spirit that is at work within us and how he leads and guides our every day in ways that seek to glorify you and make, make the decision that we know will please you. Help us, Father, to be more attuned to him, obedient to him as he's working in our lives. Help us, Father, to be grounded in your word again so that we know what pleases you. And as we celebrate Christmas once again, Father, we, we pray that we would not just enjoy the wonderful truth of the one in the manger, but Father, that we would allow him to completely transform our lives. And we pray that as he does so, it would all be for your unending and wonderful glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.